and it is good to be outdoors again. I really enjoy being outdoors with you guys. So I hope you guys are enjoying it as well. It was, it's, it's a lot cooler than I thought it was going to be. Jesus and his dad put this tarp up, so next time you see him, tell him thank you for doing that. It was really nice. So if you're visiting here or you're new to the church, I just want to say welcome. We're glad that you are with us. And if you'd like to get to know more about us as a church after the service, I want to encourage you behind me, those wooden pallets. There's a welcome center there with some friendly people. They'd be more than happy to answer whatever questions you might have about the church, or you can sign up for our church email, that kind of thing. Um, got some announcements for you this morning. Number one, uh, Adam talked about this, but a little bit of wayfinding. So we have bathrooms over to my left and over to my right. And upstairs, there's some bathrooms right over there as well. So feel free if you need to use any of those. There's water fountains there. It's not too hot, so I think you're going to be okay. But we do have some water, bottled water. So if you need some bottled waters, I think we have some on the bench there and up on the top over there as well on the bridge. Uh, a couple other things is that in two weeks, August 8th, our Colorado City trip is going to be doing a debrief. So for those of you who'd like to know what took place there, uh, they're going to be showing pictures and giving testimonials. Uh, we sent about 25, 26 of our people out to Colorado City, Arizona over the July 4th weekend, uh, really to help a church plant that's out there in that community and it, it, for those of you who don't know the story there's actually a story on Netflix because of the it's part of a fundamentalist Latter-day Saints uh, kind of compound that has now been broken of that and somebody's been planting a gospel-centered church there so our church went alongside to help out and it was just fantastic so if you want to know more about that that's gonna be August 8th during this hour actually so if you want to be part of that make sure you come the first hour and it's gonna be in room 109 which is not that room there but on the other side uh, if you got any questions you can see Tristan and or Jackie where are they they raise your hands right there okay another thing is uh, next week, we will be having our Lord's Supper service, and it's going to be at 6 o'clock, normal time, and it's going to be in the Family Life Center. So this one won't be outside, it'll be inside, um, and it's just a great time. If you're new to the church and you haven't been to our Lord's Supper service, I really want to encourage you to be a part of one of those Lord's Supper services. Not only is it because as a congregation, we're observing an ordinance that the Lord gave us, but we also just have a wonderful time of just family time, and we'll be hearing from, we have a, we've had a lot of teams go out, so we'll hear again from our, our, our Colorado City team our Paradise California team, our Arizona Flagstaff team, and I'm just losing track of all the kind of people going out doing gospel work, but we'll hear from them as well and just celebrate life together. So that's going to be uh, August 1st, every Sunday night, first Sunday of the month, we meet and do that. And we're going to have Kids Bible Club, so for ages three and below, we'll have Kids Bible Club that night so they can get equipped with the Word of God. It's going to be a wonderful time. That's going to be August 1st next week. Uh, we want to pray for Pastor Tim as well. He is actually preaching over at Bethany Baptist Church in Westminster. You guys remember Jared Burke? That's the Bethany is where Jared has left to be the senior pastor there, and he asked him to come preach to his congregation. So it's just neat to be able to, as a church, be able to help other churches and send some of our, our elders or our staff elders to preach at various churches and encourage them. So we'll go pray for him as well during the offering. Well, with that, let me pray for the offering. There are boxes that are orange located around. You can give them there or online at cccLH dot org forward slash give. I think I got that right. So with that, would you bow your heads with me and pray? Father, we come before you, and right now we want to lift to you our brother Tim, who's probably right at this very moment preaching the word of God to another congregation over in Westminster. We pray that that is fruitful, that you give Tim just a wonderful time, not only uh, reuniting with our brother Jared, who labored amongst us for, for well over a decade in, in gospel ministry, and now you have led him to lead a congregation in Westminster. We're thankful that Tim can go out there and preach the word and, and help them get a vision for community groups and doing life together. We also thank you for this time where we can meet to dig into the word. Lord, thank you that this is a congregation that loves getting into the word of God and, and, and living it in their lives. 
Well, we're grateful that you've given us such a great facility, not only a great uh, indoor sanctuary, but even when we have to meet outdoors, having a place like this together is fantastic. So, Lord, thank you for all your blessings to us, Lord. Thank you for the generosity you give to us. And our giving back is merely a reflection of your generosity to your people. We thank you, Lord, that we have this many ways to worship you, one is which is through our very uh, giving this morning. It represents our, our lives. Lord, we pray that you would use this for the glory of the gospel, for not just here in South Orange County, but throughout the world. And Father, I can't pray for the work around the world without thinking about brothers and sisters who used to sit with us now who are doing missions work overseas. And we pray for them. We ask that you would bless them. Some of them don't even have a local congregation, Lord. They're out there trying to plant a church. So we pray that you'd bless their efforts. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this morning, uh, we're going to be jumping around a lot in Scripture. We don't have the screens, which is actually kind of a good thing. So if you have a Bible, I want you to open up to the book of Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. Uh, and, and as I was preparing for this weekend, thinking about the conclusion of our series, The Grace of Life, about marriage, it occurred to me that we spent a lot of time dipping into the book of Ephesians. And it makes a lot of sense if you're familiar with the book of Ephesians. It is a theologically rich and practically applicable book of the Bible. I mean, in the first three chapters, we've talked about the structure of it, but it's helpful to just know your Bible. The first three chapters of, of Ephesians, Paul just lays a thick theological foundation for how we are to live in Christ, all that God has done for us, all that he has done in Christ and what he gives to us. And then right at chapter four, so the halfway point of the Bible, or of the book, he then spends three more chapters unpacking based on the foundation he laid what it means to live in light of those truths. So two phrases are common throughout the book of Ephesians. The first phrase is in Christ. You see it everywhere, in Christ, in him, all over the place, because we are in Christ, if you're a Christian, and then walking worthy for Christ. You see that all through the second half. What's it like to walk worthy of Christ? And it's really important. So there's one phrase in particular, as I thought about this, in Ephesians that, that I want to read this morning, and it comes from a really just, I mean, thick part of Ephesians. So Ephesians chapter 1, we're going to read verses 7 to 10. Um, yeah, let me just read it and, and unpack it as we go. So Paul writes this, In him, in Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. Okay, stop right there. I, I can't read these passages without, there's so much here. In him, we have redemption, right? So, so through his blood. So he's talking about a redemption and how that redemption is accomplished. How is that redemption accomplished? Through that prepositional phrase, through his blood, his death, the forgiveness of our trespasses. So he tells us how we get this redemption. Then he tells us, he defines what redemption is. It's the forgiveness of our trespasses. And then he tells us what's the engine, what's driving the motivation for our redemption according to the riches of his grace. So just in one verse, Paul is laying down the definition of what redemption is, how we got redemption, and why redemption was even made possible just in verse 8 or verse 7. Then in verse 8 he says, which he, speaking of God, lavished upon us, the, the grace of the riches of his grace in all wisdom and insight making known to us the mystery of his will what's he talking about there so what, what Paul is saying is that in God's wisdom and insight he lavished upon Christians those who would be would respond to the gospel call with with wisdom and insight look at it this way Galatians 4 4 says at the perfect time God sent forth his son 
If you are a Christian, if you believe in the gospel, it wasn't as if 2,000 years ago, the second person of the Godhead, Jesus, was like, eh, I'm kind of bored. This is a good time for me to go to earth and do that redemption thing we talked about. That's not how it played out. At the right time, when everything needed to be right where it was at, and if you remember in the book of Galatians, we talked about at great length, what does that mean at Galatians 4.4, at the right time? economically, politically, culturally, linguistically, geographically, everything had to line up and God said, now I'm sending my son. But what, to what aims did he send the son? What is the mystery of his will that Paul's referring to here? Well, go to chapter three, just a page over. Chapter three, verse six answers this. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs members of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. So the mystery of his will that he's talking about in chapter 1, he defines for us in chapter 3. What's the mystery of his will? Us, the church, that the Gentiles then can become part of the people of God. Up to that point, it was just the nation of Israel, the Jews. But now God says at the perfect time, the church is going to come into existence and everyone can be a part of it. That's the mystery of his will. Okay, back to chapter 1. Making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purposes, which he set forth in Christ. So what are the purposes he set forth in Christ? Go back to verse 4. Look at verse 4. Even as God the Father chose us in God the Son before the foundations of the world. Guys, just, this is a mic drop moment. If you are a Christian... That's telling me that God chose me before the foundations of the world. Before my mother or father ever knew that they would have a son, God predestined me to be his son. Back at verse uh, 4 there, or verse 5, in love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ. Okay, so that was the purpose which he set forth in Christ. Back to verse 10, as a plan for the fullness of time, and if you've been in our Revelation study, you know that phrase is referring to the end of all things, that, that this is the time period where God's wrapping it up, right? The fullness of time has come to unite all things in him. That's the verse, that, or that's the phrase I've been thinking about all week, to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. This book of Ephesians, now, now that was just theologically dense, right? I'm, in, I'm kind of interrupted a lot of the flow, but I, I needed to help you see the connections. Paul says he's going to unite all things in him, and he goes to kind of talk about what all those things are in the book of Ephesians. And remember when Jesus preached about the roles of husbands and wives, so from Ephesians 5.22 all the way up to Ephesians 6.4, it's all about husbands and wives and family. And so what we gather from that is that when God says he's going to unite all things in him, he's talking about our marriages. He's talking about our family. Well, what I'm trying to express I'm sorry, I keep moving closer because I want to be closer to you guys. I'm getting further from you guys. But what, what, what Paul is expressing in Ephesians is we have coalescing together in a way that sometimes is hard to distinguish them. That's why we don't catch them. God's uh, plan of the redemption of creation, his purposes of, in Christ, the plans for his people, the church, our marriages and families all kind of coalescing together independent from one another, but interrelated with one another. Now, now, why am I saying this? Especially because this seems like a very odd way to conclude a series on marriage, but no, it's not, because what Paul is saying in Ephesians is that your marriage has everything to do with God's plan of redemption, his purposes in Christ, and his people, the church. 
And the reason that's important is so often in modern Christianity, we think of the church as just kind of a tacked-on add-on to my Christian faith. It's good if I can get it, but it's okay if I don't. But Paul's saying in Ephesians is, man, that is as integral to, your, uh, to God's plan of redemption, his purposes in Christ, as it is your salvation and your marriage and your family. Now, the reason this has direct correlation is, as I shared a couple weeks ago, I've been doing marriage counseling since I was 19. Uh, it probably wasn't very good at 19, but I, you know, I did more than most teenagers and certainly 20-somethings. Um, I did a lot more of it once I became uh, a professional pastor, right? And I've that, done, done a ton of that for 20 years now. And my wife and I have been doing premarital counseling for about 13 years. And I didn't see these connections that I'm talking about right now because by definition, a lot of the times when I'm dealing with marriage counseling, I'm, I'm meeting a relationship at the breakdown stage. And as I met with so many couples over the years, I realized that by and large, couples seem to struggle with the same kinds of things in the same kinds of ways. Not, not the exact way and not, not, not the exact thing, but similar, similarly enough to where there are patterns. At the same time, being in really healthy churches, I also got to know a lot of thriving marriages and recognize that thriving marriages share, thr are thriving, maybe not in the exact same way and for the same reasons, but enough similarities where there are patterns. And I began to compare and contrast the two. And uh, what I began to notice is that thriving marriages seem to have certain elements that in varying degrees were absent from marriages that were struggling. Does that make sense? So the marriages that were doing well, I started to see there are certain patterns here that are missing in marriages that were struggling. And so I wrote them down. I've got a list of about nine of them. And what I've been doing is uh, following up with every young married couple I did at this church, and I call them marriage well checkups. And, and I've been just been going through these nine things to just see how they're doing in these. And some of them are pretty common sense. They're not really anything profound, right? So you, you can probably think about it yourself. Uh, healthy friendships outside of the marriage is one of the things that are very important. Um, responsible financial stewardship, real practical everyday kinds of things, right? Um, deepening intimacy at the various levels of the marriage. Those are common sense things. But there were some things that I discovered that aren't as intuitive upon uh, when you think about it. For example, uh, what I found in really strong, thriving marriages is that those people regularly tend to seek counsel. Don't confuse what I said with getting advice, right? There's a difference between getting advice from like Dr. Phil or Oprah or whatever and the counsel I'm talking about. Thriving marriages, I notice, sought godly counsel when they made decisions in their lives, whether it was from close circles of friends or the elders of their church. But they didn't just make decisions. They thought about biblically, a biblical worldview, how do they make these decisions. So they sought godly counsel. A second thing was they practiced hospitality. And I'm not going to explain that right now because that's not the point of what I'm talking about this morning. But that was a pattern that was there. They, they regularly practiced hospitality. And a third one was more to the point, was the church. And I didn't see that so obviously, again, until I started backing up and then looking again at Ephesians and realizing that the church is integrally related to God's plan of redemption, his purposes in Christ, and as we see in chapter 5 and 6, marriages and families as well. And so if you want all the pistons of your marriage firing well, then I guess my thesis this morning is you probably need to give better and more intentional thought about the role that the church plays in your marriage. And I want to give you this morning four arguments why that's important. I could give you more, but we only have, I only have another 90 minutes. So I'm going to give you four reasons. Just kidding. I got 30 minutes. Here's the four reasons, right? 
uh, for you note takers. So number one, the, the church should be, the people of God should be more part of your marriage than you thought before because number one, of ongoing help in various aspects of your life. That's a lot of things to write. Just say ongoing help, right? The church provides ongoing help. The second reason is based on that ongoing hope, the help, the church provides mutual accountability. And we'll talk about these all. We'll unpack each one of them. The third reason is because of, and maybe this one should have been the first one, but the, regularly, the regular preaching of the gospel or being exposed to the gospel. And fourth and finally, the church gives your family something bigger to live for than just your family. Those are really important things. So let's look at them one at a time. Um, uh, go from Ephesians, go to the book of Hebrews chapter 10. We're going to look at Hebrews for a little bit for the next few minutes here. Hebrews chapter 10. This is a, a common verse many of you are going to be familiar with. And it's verses 24 and 25. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 and 25. And we're talking about how the church can provide ongoing help in your lives, uh, throughout your lives. Okay, so this is what the writer of Hebrews says. And let us... Consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Now, I just want to say that as elders, we talk about kind of what we, what we teach and where the needs are of our church. When we did talk about throughout the series, certain things that couples are always going to face that are challenging, right? Uh, communication conflict, kids, the roles of husbands and wives, intimacy, all those kinds of things. But we're not naive to think that one sermon series is enough to fix your situation if you're having struggles in your marriage, right? We're not naive to believe that that's the case any more than one great marriage conference is going to fix your marriage, any more than having a 90-minute a or a 50-minute session with a therapist every week is going to fix your marriage, any more than any one book is going to fix your marriage. None of these alone are sufficient for the task. But that being said, friends, being exposed regularly to the preaching and hearing of the word of God, regularly receiving wise counsel from godly men and women in your life from the word of God, regularly getting, uh, being in fellowship with others who are going to encourage you and to spur you on to maturity and growth in Christ is exactly what we all need, this regular diet of these things. And that is exactly why the church is set up the way it is. We gather regularly, routinely, rhythm, rhythmatically every week, and then sometimes even before, because we need this regular diet. Look at Hebrews 10. What is the, what is the third word there in verse 24? Or actually, what is, the, yeah, what is the third word there? Us. Let us consider. Now, let me ask you this. Who's the us there that the writer's referring to? Right. Is, he, he's not, is he just referring to your community group leaders? No. He's not referring just to the pastoral staff. He's not referring just to the elders or the deacons of the church. He's referring to us, every single one of us. Proverbs 27, 17 says, As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. You can say the same thing for women. We are the people who stimulate each other to love and good deeds. We are the people who make each other strong in our faith. In the context of marriages, what does this look like? It can look like basically, I mean, this is the end of the series, but I hope some of you here, husbands are realizing, I realize I'm not as good at husbanding as maybe I should be. And I'm going to get together with other men who realize they're not as good at husbanding that they should be. And maybe we're going to read Lou Priolo's uh, The Complete Husband. Maybe a couple of you wives realize I don't wife very well. 
and I need to wife better, and I need to get some women together, and we're going to read Elise Fitzpatrick's uh, Better by, or Helper by Design, or Martha Pierce's Excellent Wife, whatever it might be. The body of Christ coming together like, uh, like Jackie and Tristan. You guys are doing a Bible study for marriages. I don't know if it's a close thing. If it is, I just ruined it. But they're getting together with some couples in the church who are recognizing this. The series made them realize, hey, we need to get better at being a marriage. And so they're just getting people together to do marriage uh, studying together. Or Vicki Van Alsberg, who was at first hour, who recognized that there was a need in our church to pray for prodigal children. So she's gathering people monthly. As a matter of fact, today, in 45 minutes behind in that fireside room, she's going to gather with men and women praying for sons and daughters in their faith. The body of Christ coming together to make the body of Christ a better community. And it's not just about marriage series, friends. If it's financial struggles, right? Getting a couple of couples together. Uh, and doing a Dave Ramsey, what's that, a Financial Peace University, and, and helping each other with their financial struggles. If it's not your uh, role as husbands and wife or, or, or finances, it might be parenting, getting people together and reading what does God's word say about being a parent or, or getting shepherding a child's heart by Ted Tripp and learning to parent together, right? There's so many ways the body of Christ can do Galatians 6.2, right? Galatians 6.2, you know, Paul says to the Galatians, bear one another's burdens. Okay, so... What's the burden that we're going to help each other bear, right? And so fulfill the law of Christ. What is the point of need? What is the opportunity you have? I'm just so thankful as I look out at the body of Christ, seeing so much ministry being done by the body of Christ and not official programs led by the church. That's God's intention and that is God's plan. Friends, I've said it before that no church could hire enough staff to meet the needs of any church. It just, it just can't do it. And that's not what God designed the church to be. So if you're a note taker, write down uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, right? Um, talk, Paul's talking about the spiritual gifts. Romans chapter 12, uh, 1 Peter chapter 7. All those chapters are talking about how God in his wisdom gives spiritual gifts to every believer in the body of Christ for the express purpose of building up the body of Christ. Friends, every one of you here, if you're a Christian, God has given to you a spiritual gift to use to benefit every other Christian in this church. What is your particular gift, right? My gift is to teach. That's what I'm doing. I'm serving you by using my gift. You have a gift to use to serve to others. Every one of us are called to that kind of service. And so you might say, well, I don't know what my gift is, or, or how does that even work? And I, I will say this, if you are part of this church, every one of you has this ministry, and you're actually using it right now, doing it right now, it's called the ministry of attendance, right? The ministry of just showing up on a Sunday morning. Now, you might not think that's, that's a ministry, that's not an act of service, but that's because generally we look at the church, uh, being at church is kind of a passive way, right? Notice, what do we call this thing we're doing right now? We call this a, it's a service, right? It's a service. We don't call it a kickback, right? Right? You're not all here to kick back. You're at the service. You don't ask somebody, well, which kickback are you going to? First kickback or second kickback? You say, what service are you going to? Because we are here to serve. Now, I'm going to unpack that a little bit more, but the point I'm getting at is even the thing we call this is supposed to inform what we're doing. It's a service. But so often we look at it as a noun, as in outdoor service, then as a verb. But the intention is it is a verb. 
We are to serve the Lord first, then one another. Friends, look back at Hebrews 10. It's no coincidence that verse 25 follows on the heels of verse 24. Duh, I know, 25 follows 24. I mean the, the thoughts, right? What, look what he says at verse 25. Not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but rather encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Friends, your marriage, that, that weekly rhythm and routine of, of becoming part of the body of Christ, which, by the way, when you're doing that ministry of attendance, also benefits you by you start creating healthy friendships outside the relationship. But that, that's the, my, my point is just that ministry of being here regularly. You build friendships, but also because you have a ministry of attendance, but also because the Holy Spirit has gifted you to do something for the body of Christ of other people who have needs that I can't meet, that Tim can't meet, that the elders can't meet. I'll put it this way. I can't do your ministry. When you don't show up here, your gifts, your ministry, your service doesn't show up with you. And I can't do it. God didn't want me to do it. I can't do it. I can't minister the way you minister. I can't serve the way you serve. I can't meet the needs the way you can meet needs because God has limited me to be me. And God has done it this way so that I'm dependent on you and you're dependent on me and the help you give me, I can give back to you. And that's how it all works. We give each other ongoing help. Let us consider how to, to stir one another up to love attitudinal thing, change of heart, and good works, actions, right? The second way that the church benefits your marriage, though, is not just ongoing help in life, but also mutual accountability, mutual accountability. Go to Hebrews chapter 3. This is a, a, a very powerful verse. Go over to Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12. This one you should know. I, I read this one pretty regularly here. This is what the writer says to these people. He writes this in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12. Take care, brothers. Okay, so right there, there's an indication. Who's the writer writing to? Is he writing to non-believers who don't, uh, don't buy into the gospel? No, who's he writing to? Christians, right? Now notice what he says to these Christians. Take care, brothers and sisters, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. That's just, again, that's another mic drop moment. Wait a minute. Christians can have an evil, unbelieving heart that leads them to fall away from God. I think there's a progression there, but we're not going to unpack that now. So this is a stern warning saying, hey, be aware because this can happen. But notice what he says in verse 13. Rather or but exhort one another. How often? Every day. Why? As long as it is called today that no one of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. I've said this before. I'll say it again. Sin is deceitful. And when sin deceives, who gets deceived first? You. When sin is in your life, the first person that's going to get deceived by it is you. It's not everyone else. It's not that they don't get it. It's you. That's the very nature of sin. It deceives, and it deceives us first. And notice what God's antidote to that self-deception is. What is God's antidote? We saw it in verse 13. The exhortation of the saints on a daily basis. Who are the saints? The people of God, the church. 
Friends, one of the things the Bible tells us is we are masters of deception. And the people we deceive first and foremost is ourselves. And so God in his wisdom puts us in relationships. And the job, one of the jobs of those relationships is to help us see our own self-deception. If you're married, that's a great thing. Your, your wife or husband's job is to help you see your own self-deception. And, and, and if, if that doesn't work, you got kids that can definitely help you see through your own self-deception. If that doesn't work, you have a church community to help you see through your own self-deception. Right? That is something really important. Friends, I'm convinced that as a pastor, I've said this before, people leave churches for the exact reason God gave us churches. Right? That, that they go, they're part of things, they like it while it's all great, but then sooner or later what happens when you start getting into these relationships, your, your immaturities, your sinfulness, your, your, your quirkiness gets exposed, right? Your sin gets exposed or your need for grace gets exposed. And we can do one of two things. We either realize it and say, I want to repent from it, turn from it, or I want to embrace God's plan for change. Or we can say, oh, I don't like this. I'm moving on. And usually that's what people do is more often than not, they take the second path. But what is Hebrews 3, 12 telling us, 12 and 13 telling us? That with, if and when our sin or our need for grace gets exposed, that itself is a grace from God. If you want that kind of accountability. That's what Hebrews 3 is telling us. And friends, it's tough when, when you hear someone say, brother, and, and I know because I said this two weeks ago to a brother, do you know you just run over your wife's words every time she's talking, you cut her off? You just, do you even realize you're doing that? Ouch. Or sister, right? Do you, do, I don't say this to sisters. This is where I need my sisters to help me out. But things, this kind of thing. Do you realize you're disrespecting your husband when you say those things publicly? Ouch. But what was so great, this man was like, oh, I needed to hear that. I needed to thank you. When people want to grow to be like Christ, and I hope if you're a Christian, you want to be like Christ, that kind of loving accountability is what you want. The problem is we're, we're not so good with accountability, but in the church, that's what we're designed to do. Let, let's talk about accountability. Let me give you just five steps to it. We're going to give you five steps. No, accountability, number one, it provides structure. So in the context we're talking about marriages, some of these guys getting together, talking about being a husband, you know, they're busy. They're reading this book, The Complete Husband, but they've got jobs. They're, so what they're going to do is maybe every two weeks, they'll meet for 30 minutes and read the questions that Lou asks at the end of the book. And they're going to ask each other these questions. Right? There's a structure. But accountability also gives assistance because change is hard. It's easy to talk about, but it's hard to do. So we need to give each other uh, assistance or guidance on how that's going to look. Can be, and it has to be very practical. It might be something like writing a letter of apology to your husband or your wife, and that group of guys or girls helping you do that. Or maybe uh, writing a, a covenant of future change of the things you're going to do differently because you've recognized where you failed, right? It can be very practical. Maybe looking at each other's schedules to see where there's a work or life imbalance that has to take place. But, but it's going to bring a structure and bring actual assistance to things. But it's also going to bring encouragement, right? Because change is tough and we need to get encouraged. Especially when you start realizing, oh man, I, I have failed in so many ways. You start feeling that, that, that weight of maybe your own sin. You're going to need encouragement. You need a, a group of guys or a group of girls that are going to be generous with the attaboys. Or you go girl, you can keep at this. Christ is changing you. This is good. But accountability, friends, also gives us warning, doesn't it? 
brothers, help the sisters out in this church. Don't, don't, don't let the husbands and wives do all the heavy lifting. Brothers in this church can talk to other brothers and say, you know, you're being an idiot. <laughs> you are not loving your wife well. What is wrong with you? Right? Help the sister out and say the hard things that he would never hear from his wife. The sisters do the same thing for brothers. Tell your girlfriends, you are not following your husband the way the scripture says to follow your husband. Encourage them to repent and ask their husbands or wives for forgiveness. That's what the church provides, that mutual accountability. The question is, are we loving enough to actually try and do that? Or are we all too busy just trying to be nice? Right? The, the sermon I gave on conflict, I've gotten so much feedback on that. And, and so many of you people have told me that you're so busy trying to be nice that you're running away from conflict. You're denying conflict. You're trying to escape it rather than resolve the conflict biblically. Right? So a church provides ongoing help in so many ways, but it also provides mutual accountability. But we've got to be a community that has the, the humility to receive godly counsel and the gratitude to recognize that this is for my good, right? And, by the way, doing it in a loving manner, right? Don't, don't just go, damn, man, you're an idiot. I'm going to punch you in the throat the way you treat your wife. That's not what I'm talking about. But saying lovingly, brother, I'm seeing something you don't see and it's hurting your wife. Sister, I'm seeing something you don't see and it's, it's, it's undermining your husband's sense of self. Man, we need that, right? So that's accountability. So those are the two reasons that ongoing help, mutual accountability. The third one, probably the most important, is, is the regularly hearing of the word of God. So Go to 1 Corinthians 15, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and this is where Paul is talking about kind of his particular ministry, and then I want you to go to Romans. So keep your finger in 1 Corinthians, and then also go to Romans, Romans chapter 1. So what I'm going to do is kind of read a couple of verses of scripture, and then we're going to stitch them together to build a theological framework, okay? So here's the first verse. 1 Corinthians 15, 3. This is what Paul says. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. And here it is. That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. Okay, and then the rest of this chapter, Paul's talking about what are the, what's the essence of the gospel. So what he's saying is here, look, I delivered to you what was of first importance, the gospel message. In Romans 1, he says why the gospel message is of first importance. So go to Romans chapter 1, look at verse 16. This is what Paul writes. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. Why, Paul? For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So the reason the gospel is of first importance because it is the power of God to transform people. And how does that transformation take place? Romans chapter 10, verse 17, Paul tells us. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Friends, the imperatives and implications of the gospel must and will give shape to your marriages and your lives. But if and only if you are at a church that's regularly preaching the gospel and its implications and its imperatives to you, and if and only if you're actually, and here's your first service, serving the Lord by attending to the preached word. Because just because you're physically here, let's be honest, doesn't mean you're actually here, right? Can I get an amen? amen. Yes, and because I know because I can see you, right? I know who's here and who's not here, right? 
Just because you're physically here doesn't mean you're actually here. Friends, your first service in your ministry of attendance is to serve the Lord by listening to his word with a heart to, to, to hear it, apply it, and obey it. Because that, and until you do that, you can't serve others. So your first ministry and your first service is to be here and hear the word of God. And every Sunday you're asking the questions, hey, listen, as I'm listening to the word of God, are there promises to trust? Are there promises to trust? Are there commands to obey? Are there warnings to heed? Are there examples to follow? Are, is there sin to repent of? Is there grace to grab hold of? Is there directions to follow? Are, are there changes I need to make? And in the midst of that, you're looking for Jesus Christ to be the answer. So that Jesus himself is to you beautiful and not just useful. Right? Jonathan Edwards told us that. You know, Jonathan Edwards is a phenomenal Puritan preacher, the Great Awakening. He said the difference between a real Christian and everyone else is that the real Christian finds Jesus beautiful and not just useful. And so every Sunday as we hear the word of God, this is kind of the four-point structure of what we want to accomplish. Here's what God's character and his holiness demand of us. Here's why we're all going to fail and can never live, it up to, live up to it. Here's why what Jesus did to solve the problem and why he is your answer. Friends, every Sunday, in some way, that's what we're trying to present and you only get it how Jesus is the answer for all things, including your marriage, if you're here, but if you're actually here, hearing the gospel. Because it is the gospel that is the power of God to transform you, right? That's why it's of first importance. And only the church, by the way, of everything in this world, not Google, not Apple, not Facebook, not Instagram, none of those things, only the church presents the gospel. And that's why if you're married, you've got to be part of a church. Because let's face it, you need the gospel in your marriage. Amen? Because you married what? A sinner, right? Yeah, that's right. Tell your wives that. Tell your husbands that. Here's the last point. You need to be part of the church if you're a married couple, if you're married, because you need to give your family something, to big, something bigger to live for than, their fa than the family. Right? And, and that's something that we got to be careful for in the, the, the church, the family gospel. Guys, as wonderful as family is, as wonderful and a blessings from God it is, our biological family is not the ultimate family. Jesus was very clear, who are my mothers and brothers and sisters? Are not they the ones who do the will of God? And, and we can make an idol of the biological family. And, we, we can, and, 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 and that's an idol that's hard to see because we reinforce it so often. So let me read something to you. Um, it's a bit depressing, but it's true. It's by Bertrand Russell. He was one of the most well-known atheists and philosophers of the 20th century. But listen to what he writes. I'll give him big credit because he's being honest. He writes this, all the labors of the ages, all the devotion, all the inspiration, all the noonday brightness of human genius are destined to extinction in the vast heat death of the solar system. And the whole temple of man's achievement must inevitably be buried beneath the debris of a universe in ruins. I told you it was depressing. But he is absolutely right. He is absolutely right. 
At the end of the day, friends, every accomplishment, every achievement, every accolade, every recognition, every relationship, including your marriage, including your, your, your children, those relationships, they will all end. And it will be done. And unless Christ is at the center and the gospel and the things he commands, it all, it's all meaningless. I'll never forget my, my, when the last time I saw my father, he wasn't a believer. And I gave him a, a letter, kind of, we had a really difficult situation, but I, I wrote out everything about why I forgive him. I know what he's done. I've forgiven him. And I remember I put the letter in his hand. I said, Dad, unless you turn from your sin, take a good look at me because you will never see me for all eternity. I was 22, 20, 22 years old. The Bible tells us that the things of this world is passing away. 1 Corinthians 7.31 says, For the present form of this world is passing away. 1 John 17 says, And the world is passing away along with its desires, and only those who do the will of God abide forever. Friends, being part of a church is part of being the will of God. Part of being church, friends. You may be just an insurance salesman, or you might be a firefighter, or you might just work in construction, but when you are deliberately, again, eyes open, engaged in the work of a local church, you are doing eternal work. You're involved in missions because of what you do in this church. You may not be one that's going on the team, maybe just financially supporting it, maybe just praying for them, maybe just encouraging some of the people in our church who are going out, but you're involved in missions. Do you realize your participation in this church is bringing the gospel and medical aid and, and building societies in the jungles of Papua New Guinea because of the Haberchaks, right? Brent got saved because somebody in this church shared the gospel with them and they became missionaries and went off to PNG. We're bringing the gospel back to a totally secularized Europe through Randy and Jan Kent. We're bringing the gospel to a totally secularized culture that's imploding in Japan. You're doing that. You're not only bringing the gospel, you're bringing economic livelihood to multiple villages in a communist country. I can't say the name because this is going to be on the internet. Through the, the well, I, can't, I don't want to say their name either. Through brothers and sisters who are amongst us that are now in the field. Because you're contributing whether it's financially or through prayer or just encouraging them. You're involved in gospel work like hospitality, opening your homes for community groups, bringing our student ministries or Aletheia to meet in your, at your homes, or just inviting a brother and sister over for lunch to get to know them and building relationships. You guys are involved in outreach. Whether or not you're in our jail ministry with Gary and Tony or, or our homeless outreach with Tristan and some others, what, you guys are part of that work. Philippians 1 tells us in God's economy, when we are engaged with the work, all that fruit is to our account. If you guys have your eyes wide open and you're a part of the local church, you're doing things that matter, the will of the Lord. So these reasons, ongoing help, in all areas of life, accountability with that ongoing help, regularly hearing the gospel, being challenged and changed by the gospel, and giving your lives to things that matter. Those are reasons that the local church has more to do with your marriage than maybe you've realized before. I know it seems odd to talk about this as we conclude a series on, on marriage, but you know, as I think about it, do you remember the very first, the, the name of the very first sermon in this series was, What is Marriage? Remember what we talked about what marriage was? Three words I used to define it. Marriage is a covenant. Marriage is a fellowship. Marriage is a witness, right? It, it's a covenant in that you make promises to one another. It's a, a fellowship in that you are with each other to make you more like Jesus Christ. And it's a witness as husband and wife display how God the Father and God the Son relate to one another. It's a witness to the world. Well, guess what? 
In church, we're a covenant community. We have made promises to one another. We are a fellowship. Why are we engaging with one another if not to make us more like Jesus Christ? And we together are a witness to the world of the character of God. So as I thought about it, it made a lot of sense why strong, thriving marriages have a long, strong connection to a local church because the same elements of a marriage, covenant, fellowship, and witness are the same elements in a church, covenant, fellowship, and witness. And they were just merely reinforcing each other. Whether or not they knew that, that's what was taking place. That we are a people, especially if you are in Christ, that there are promises made that last for eternity, right? Which is similar to marriage, but somewhat different. But we are also participating in our sanctification to be like Jesus. And, and if you're married, you might make a promise to one individual for the rest of your life. But if you're not married, you're making a promise to a bunch of people in a local church, right? If you're married, you're working for a fellowship of sanctification to make your husband or wife more like Jesus. If you're not married, you're still working in that same fellowship to make everyone like Jesus. If you're married, you two together are a witness of God's character. If you're not married, you with all of us are a witness of God's character. It's the same thing. So I thought it's really appropriate that we end exactly how we began this series, thinking about the promises we make to one another, the, per the, the, the participation we have in each other's lives, and the purpose by which we're gathered together to give God glory in, in our lives, in our marriages, and in our church together. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for uh, the word of God. We thank you for our marriages. We thank you for the local church. We thank you, Lord, that in your wisdom, you designed both these institutions, the marriage and the church, to be a display of your character. Father, we ask that you'd help us build healthy marriages as we strive to build a healthy church so that the world that is just imploding in so many ways, culturally and, and, and gender and relationships and all that, that, that people can look to the church as a, as a light on a hill and say, these people get it. And Father, that can only happen if we are dialed into the gospel, longing to be changed. And that can only happen if we love one another to realize we are together to make us like Christ and not be merely a social religious club. But we are pilgrims on our way to a true kingdom. And we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message from Christ Community Church of Laguna Hills. For more information and resources from Christ Community, visit us at www.ccclh.org.